Yeah. Please, please do not. Okay, here we go. Um, let's see here. Let's, let's start with this. Where does this come from? Bible quiz. The Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so we're singing these words. Is it just that the, the guy who wrote the song felt like, man, this just is, this is the way that it should sound right now, or does he get this from somewhere? You sing. Job. That's exactly right. Okay, guys, so at the end of Job, okay, Job has this conversation with the Lord, right? And he's being questioned. He says, who can give counsel? And the Lord answers him out of the storm. Who can give counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Okay, this is scripture that we get to sing. This is a reminder of what we've been taught in God's word. Okay, so God's word should be foundational to everything that we do when we come to church. It's not just about meeting friends, um, singing nice melodies. It should be scripture, scripture, scripture throughout. Okay. So, quick way to start today. First of all, we got a book giveaway, okay? This is called The Story. It's the Bible's Grand Narrative of Redemption. It's by a guy named John Nielsen. I actually went to college with this guy. He was the youth pastor over at College Church for many years. Now he's um, moved on. I think he's at Princeton doing a degree. Um, but he just has little one-day devotionals uh, that takes you through the grand narrative. That means like the big story of Scripture and helps you really get a good idea of what all of Scripture is talking about. So, who wants it, but only raise your hand if you're going to read it. Okay? All right, the Gainer family gets it. It's going to the Gainer family. You guys can pass it around as you, uh, as you work through it. Okay, second thing is, I told you guys to bring Bibles, right? Yeah. Okay, raise your hand if you didn't bring your Bible. <laughs> raise it nice and high if you did not bring your Bible. Nice and high. Didn't bring a Bible. Okay, so here's the deal. Do any of you who raised your hand not have a Bible, or maybe you still have your student edition Bible, and it's kind of old and outdated, and you would like a brand spanking new Bible, okay? Don't have one, all right? I actually saw Dave's hand go up first, all right? All right, Dave, I was at a conference this week. They were handing out Bibles, and I've got one, so there you go. Just so you know, Dave, we get to be matchy-matchy with our Bibles, so. <laughs> Added perk. Okay. If you didn't bring a Bible, I want you to get up. Go over to that table over there. There's a whole bunch of them. It is not the walk of shame. It's the walk of remembrance so that you will remember next time. <laughs> With a little bit of shame mixed in. Alright, now here's the deal. If you are used to using your phone as your Bible, and you keep hearing Nick talking about underlining and stuff like that, and you thought, man, maybe it would be good for me to have a real Bible, you can have that Bible, okay? So these Bibles are also for the taking, okay? Now, if you do have a Bible and you just left it at home, you can put these ones back where you found them. Um, but if you don't, take this one with you, write your name in it, it's yours, okay? All right, here we go. Get back to where we are here. We are in Genesis, and we're going to start like this. What do these people all have in common? We've got Lance Armstrong. Okay, anybody, just give me a one-word description of who this person is. 
Biker, okay? Johnny Manziel? What is Football. Football. Tiger Woods? Golf. OJ Simpson? Football. And Rob Lagojevich? Governor of Illinois is what I was going for. Governor of Illinois. Okay. So here's the question. What do all these people have in common? They all used to be really good at what they did. Used to be good at what they did, okay. Or at least famous for what they did. Okay? But but what? They did something bad, right? Okay. Yeah? Some of them. Did all of them? I don't know. I don't know the sordid history of each one of these people, but. Yeah. Basically, I'm going to call these people, these are people who all had famous falls, okay? Very famous falls, okay? So Lance Armstrong. If you don't know who he is, he's a cyclist, and not many of us follow the cycling tour. It's not like you go home, except for Mr. Stein, okay? Not many of us set the DVR to record, you know, the however many day Tour de France. France. Tour de France. <laughs> but Lance Armstrong, okay, get this. Lance Armstrong, do you get the Tour de France is this race where they race through the French Alps, just crazy, insane, difficult bike race. He's won it. Do you know how many times he's won it? Seven times. Seven times in a row. He won it seven times in a row. And before he did that, he beat cancer. Okay, so he beats cancer, wins it seven times in a row. Goes down in history as the greatest cyclist ever. Only to come out that he cheated in, I don't know, all, most of them. Okay, cheated. He had all of the, all of the awards were taken away from him. Okay, all of the championships were taken off of his name. Okay, Johnny Manziel. We got Johnny Football. He's the first freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. And yet he can't stop partying, drinking, and getting into trouble. And now he is unemployed and actually on trial for beating up his ex-girlfriend. Okay? We got Tiger Woods. Possibly the best golfer of all time. The number of tournaments that he won was unbelievable. There was something called the Tiger Woods Complex. Other golfers were having to get counseling because Tiger Woods was in their head, okay? And yet Tiger Woods, one morning, drives out of his driveway, smashes his car into a tree and a fire hydrant, and all of a sudden the world knows that he was caught up in scandalous affair after affair after affair after affair throughout his entire time while he was on tour. Do you know how many he's won since then? Okay, I don't think any. I actually, I didn't do the research on it, but I know that he's been in the head. He's, he's almost always, every golf tournament, we want to talk about Tiger Woods, but there's nothing to talk about. He's not winning anything. He's way down, so his, his game is done. O.J. Simpson, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he's accused of murdering his ex-wife. Now, he was acquitted, okay? But he wrote on, went on to write a book titled, If I Did It. Kind of a funny title of a book. And 
later was arrested for armed robbery and kidnapping and is currently serving 33 years in jail. Okay? Rob Blagojevich, 40th governor of Illinois, in jail in my home, home state of Colorado, Commerce City, 14-year sentence for corruption. Okay? So all these people have had famous falls. Now, as shocking as these are, none of them are as shocking or as famous as what we're going to read today. So we want to start by reviewing where did we end up last week. What chapters did we talk about last week? What chapters were on the docket from last week? Yes. Genesis 1 and 2, okay? And in Genesis 1 and 2, what did we see? We, we looked for repetition. We were trying to say... What is the author's big idea? What's the author trying to tell us in Genesis 1 and 2? And what were some of the things that we saw repeated? Drew. Creation. Okay, so we've got creation. Good. Yep. It good. It was good. Okay, so it's a good creation. Who's doing all the creating? He spoke it into existence. That's right. So God is doing all of the creating. He simply has to speak and it comes into existence, right? Um, all right, let's see here. What else do we have? What was the most unique aspect of creation? Us. We were, right? And why were we so special? Adam? Because we were created in the image of God, okay? It's the only thing in creation that's created in God's image. And we talked last week about why does this matter? Well, we talked about how it means that you matter. You were created in God's image, which means you matter. You have a purpose. God created humans not just on a whim, not like he ran out of things to create and he was kind of looking around and he walked past a mirror and was like, hey, I didn't make one of those yet. Let's just do that, right? No, there was a purpose behind creating man in his own image. We also talked about how being in God's own image doesn't necessarily mean that we look like him, but it means that we are able to experience some of his attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control, okay, as well as other things as we'll find out today. Okay, so we were created to be in a relationship with God. That's why we were created. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 is teaching us, right from the beginning. We're created for a relationship. And Genesis 1 and 2 ends with verse 25. So open up in your Bibles to chapter 2. Look down at verse 25. And the man and his wife we're both naked, and we're not ashamed. Now, it's not just trying to make us blush. It's not just trying to say <coughs> they were acting like a bunch of two-year-olds, who, two-year-olds and three-year-olds, I know from experience, love to be naked and are not ashamed, okay? <laughs> There's something going on here. This is the perfect ending to perfection, right? First of all, we all know that shame and nakedness go together in our lives, right? And so, you know, we, you know there's, all, there's, the, there's the dream, right? The naked dream. And it usually isn't accompanied with joy and just like, woohoo, you know, whatever, you know? But no, it's shame, okay? Shame and nakedness go together. But in the garden, at the beginning, shame and nakedness didn't go together. They were naked and they were completely unashamed. And this sets us up for what's about to come next. Because everything is about to change. So we're going to read through this, and we're going to stop at different points. We're going all the way through 6, 8, and we're going to ask a few questions. So follow along with me in your Bible, starting in chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field 
that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God say that? Did God say they must not eat of any tree in the garden? Nope. nope. He just said, Don't eat of this tree. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Just one tree. Okay, so we already see he's twisting his words. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did God say they couldn't touch it? No, I don't remember that part. Okay, so already we're seeing God's words are starting to be twisted. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look back at chapter 1, verse 26. 126. Okay, who has that? Who can read that for us? Melissa, you got it? Yeah. Okay, just read just that verse, 26. Good, okay. Let us make man in our own image after our what? After our likeness, right? And the serpent says, you will be like God. So the serpent is implying that they're not like God, right? But we see in chapter 126 that that's exactly how they were created. They were created to be like God. And so the serpent says, you will, be, uh, you will then be like God, knowing good and evil. The other thing we see in 126 is that they were given the role of having dominion or being in charge over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What is a serpent? A creeping thing, a creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So they were created in God's likeness in order to be in charge of all the animals. And yet we see an animal giving the orders, don't we? Something that's supposed to be under them is starting to exert himself over them. And he's asking them questions and he's calling them into question God's words. So here's a question for you. Did God cheat Adam and Eve when he originally made them by not making them to know good and evil? Did God leave something out when he didn't make them to know good and evil like the serpent is talking about here? What do you think? What do you think he means by no good and evil? Yeah? To be able to do both good and evil. Okay, to do both good and evil. So the serpent is saying, you will be like God being able to do both good and evil. Well, just think about it for a minute. You're a smart guy. Does God do both good and evil? Okay, so they probably wouldn't be like God if they were doing good and evil. You're, I'm not shutting you down. We're just discussing any other thoughts on this? Did God cheat Adam and Eve? Yeah. Well, like, why would the serpent be in there anyway if it was supposed to be a perfect garden? Like, if the world was supposed to be like perfect, why would the serpent be there? Okay, good question. Well, <clears throat> we're going to have to look at how, um, first of all, who the serpent is. And that although God created everything perfect, he didn't create it as a robotic 
computer system that was only to remain perfect. There was th also things such as choice. They could choose what they were going to do. So that would at least left open the possibility of evil entering into the garden. Yeah. Okay, well, let's ask this. Um, how, how many of you have you had someone say, how do you know it's bad until you've tried it? If you haven't tried it, you don't know it's bad, right? I spent an entire plane ride next to somebody one time who his entire time, I don't know if I told you the story yet, but his entire time he just wanted to convince me that as a you know, religious person, I had no idea whether or not things were good or bad because I'd never tried them. And we talked about everything from cocaine to prostitutes. To, it, was, it was quite a vulgar conversation, to be honest. And his whole point was, how do you know if you've never tried it? And I think that's kind of what Satan is saying here. You, you've been left out because you don't know good and evil. You've never, there's something here that you can't try. You can't try the tree. How do you know it's bad if you don't try it? Right? Last small group, um, we asked this question. What did you lose as a child that you wish you could have back? And Alex said, my innocence, because he's in the public school system. Right? Public school has taken my innocence. Now, I thought that was actually a pretty good answer, right? That's one of the reasons that a lot of parents don't send their kids to public school. Um, I learned a lot in the public schools, both in the classroom and out of the classroom. Okay? Now, a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, why do parents keep their children from seeing certain movies? Is it because they don't, they're trying to keep their children from something that they know is good? This is a great movie, but you'll never see it. <laughs> okay, there's things in the movie that they don't want them to see, not because it's so good they just couldn't understand how good it was. It's because it's bad. Right? It won't help them. It will hurt them. And for Adam and Eve, what was missing was not the knowledge that some things were good and some things were evil. They knew that. They knew about the tree. God said, don't eat from the tree. That's bad. Don't do that. Just obey me. Listen to what I say. What was missing was the experience of evil, of getting to touch it and taste it and do it yourself. Okay, so here's a question. Do you feel like you can live without experiencing all forms of evil for yourself? Could you go through life and just say, you know what, I'm going to take the Bible's word for it and trust that's bad. I don't need to do it to figure out that it's bad. Or do you feel like, no, I just want to experiment. I want to try it out. I want to make sure. Okay? Do you trust your parents enough to do this? Your parents tell you, don't go to that party. Don't go watching that movie. Do you trust them enough to say, you know, I trust that when they tell me not to do that, it's not because they don't want me to be happy. They want to take my joy. Do you trust that it's because what you're going to experience that looks attractive right now actually is going to make your life worse? Because they know. And they want you to be protected from it. Do you trust God and his word to teach you what you should avoid? Well, Adam and Eve didn't. They didn't take God at his word, and they went about it their own selves. And so we see in verse 6 here that when the woman saw that this tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Isn't this how we work so much of the time? 
Look at this. Look at the words. The woman what? The woman saw. Okay. And, and as you read on, it was a delight to the what? To the eyes. And it was to be desired. How much of our life is spent longing for what we see, right? It looks so good. And I want it. And I want to try it. No matter who said it was bad and I shouldn't go that direction, to my eyes, it looks good. And that's all that Eve can think about. It looks good. And so she takes it, she eats it, she gives it to Adam, and he eats it. Then the eyes of both were open. Huh. How interesting. They looked, they saw, they desired, it looked good, they took it, and their eyes are opened. And what's the result? Is it joy upon joy upon joy? No. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I mean, that just sounds exactly like our experience, doesn't it? We see it looks good, right? The party's got all those popular kids. Everyone's smoking pot. Just give me some. Let me try it. Whatever it is. And then, actually, the night kind of went downhill from there. And what I remember wasn't that great. Okay? We need to stop trusting our eyes and start trusting God's word to teach us what is right and what is good. Now, you'll notice this is completely the contradiction of 225. They were naked and unashamed, and now their eyes are open, and they know they're naked, and they're ashamed, aren't they? And they want to cover up their nakedness. Quick, cover up. And they heard the sound in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, too many eyes are looking at me. Look down at your Bibles. We're in our Bibles now. Verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And listen to this. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said, God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so you notice, the man said the woman, the woman said the serpent. What's changed since 2.25 is that now they're naked and they're ashamed. And not only that, but we see that the relationship between themselves and God is broken. Right? That loving, perfect, peaceful, trusting place where they were naked and unashamed is broken. And all of order is starting to turn into chaos. It was supposed to be that God created the man. The man was the head of the wife. A man and woman were head of over all the animals. They have dominion over them. And all of a sudden we see that the animal is starting to give the orders. And he doesn't talk to the man, he talks to the woman. And the woman gives to the man, and the man just goes along with it. And everything's being turned on its head, and everything is starting to unravel. Verse 14, we see the consequences. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now we're going to stop there for a minute, because many people call this the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. Do you know why they call verse 15 the first gospel? Read it here. 
I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Why is this the first gospel? I thought your hands up. First gospel. It's the first prophecy. Okay. What's it prophesying? That an offspring, right, of this woman is going to come, and while the serpent is going to bruise his heel, he is going to crush his head. Okay, this is the first picture that we get of the gospel. And notice, where are we in the Bible? I mean, hold up your Bible. This is how much is left. This is how much we've read, right? So, perfection, we mess it all up, and the gospel's right on the heels of it. God has a plan before he even needs it. Okay, there's a plan here to make things right. It's a prediction that an offspring is going to come and fix things. Okay, we're just going to finish chapter 3 here. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Okay, so we've got a curse on the woman. And then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it in all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, and out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then we end with, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What I want you to see here is we've got some pretty, pretty bad news, but there's hope. Okay? We've got curses, and then there's hope. The hope comes in Eve's name. What does Eve's name mean? You guys see in your Bible there? Her name is Eve because she was the mother of all living things. So right in the midst of death, we have Eve, whose name means life. Interesting, okay? And then God made for Adam and Eve garments of skins. What does that mean? What are the clothes made out of? Animal skins. What has to happen to an animal to make an animal skin clothing? You have to kill an animal. Many people see here the very first sacrifice, okay? God is the first one to sacrifice an animal. And he does it to cover the shame of his people. There's hope. Right away, there's a plan. God is still present with his people. He's clothing them. He's concerned about them. He cares about them. Now, there's a lot from here on out that we just want to hit the highlights, okay? So let's look at some highlights. Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden. We get to chapter 4, and Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel, right? And they go and they offer an offering to God, and God likes Abel's, but he doesn't like Cain's. And it makes Cain really angry. And notice what God says to Cain in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 4, 6, and 7. Let's see here. Who can read that for me? At least yours is open there. 4, 6, and 7. Uh, 4, 6, and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Um, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Okay, so here we see both sin and hope, right? There's sin in your life, Cain, but there's hope because what does God instruct him to do? 
He must rule over the sin, right? Okay, so already God has God completely left humankind to themselves? Are they on their own now? No, he's still very much involved. But does Cain rule over his sin? No, right? Cain goes and he murders Abel. And so in verse 16 we see, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Man is moving away from God. Wickedness is starting to come throughout the land. If we fast forward, we get to the new son who takes the place of Abel, and his name is Seth. Adam and Eve have another son. Their name is Seth. His name is Seth. And it says, To Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. There's hope again, right? People are starting to look to God. And if you keep reading, it keeps going through this genealogy. And as we read through the genealogy, we get to the fact that Seth is created in Adam's image, which sounds a whole lot like Adam being created in God's image. And so we see that this image continues even though there's sin. We see that there's this formula that says, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And then it talks about Seth and it says, Seth lived this many years and then he died. Enosh lived this many years and he died. Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah. But when it gets to uh, Enoch, something changes. Look down at chapter 5, verse 23. Actually, go to verse 22. Even in these seemingly boring genealogies, we read, Enoch walked with God. Well, that's weird. Didn't say that about anybody else, did it? But Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 23, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Wow, I have completely run out of time. Okay. All that to say, there is hope, hope, hope throughout the rest of chapter 6, even though there's wickedness, wickedness, wickedness. Okay? So let's close with a few thoughts on this. Who wrote Genesis? What were we talking about last time? Moses, right? Moses is the one who's writing it down. What was life like in Moses' day? What was happening? We've got the Exodus, right? We've got wandering in the wilderness. So was life peachy keen for everybody? No, life was hard. What's life like today? Hard, right? It's still hard. In today's world, we have lost innocence in our public school systems. We have divorce, death, disease, lies, broken relationships, broken wrists for gymnastics, right? Very sad. We have uh, hurting people. Where fame is desired above everything, right? In our world, I just want to be famous. And the famous hate their lives. They just want to get away from it. We live in a world where we're taught that homosexuality is good and right. But actual homosexuals are broken and hurting. We're taught that money is the answer to all our problems. But the people who have lots of it would say that it's the cause of all their problems. We're taught that sex sells everything. We make it the topic of the best-selling songs. We make sure to find a way for it to exist in all of our movies. But when we catch a famous politician or a famous athlete in, a fa- in an affair, we're shocked. And the news broadcasters rip them apart in front of everybody. We live in a world where everyone knows you can't get elected as an honest politician. And you're never going to make it as an actor or an actress if you aren't willing to compromise your values. 
We live in a world where we ignore the needs of other people. We always try to satisfy ourselves, but we're never satisfied. Our world is still very broken and very hurting. And if I were in Moses' day or if I lived today, we'd be asking the same questions. How'd we get here? What's wrong with this world? Why are people so wicked? Why is life so sad, so painful, so unfair, so lonely? And where is God in all of this? And what Genesis 3 tells us is that what's wrong with the world is you. You're what's wrong with the world. God is not the problem. You are. And specifically, your sin is what's wrong with the world. God made everything good, and it's humans that rebelled, humans that sinned, humans that broke the relationship, humans that brought death and sin and pain and separation from God and separation from the garden. And what are you? You're a human. You're a son or a daughter of Adam. You're a sinner, just like Adam and Eve. And every time you sin, you're continuing the pattern of rebellion against God. You and sinners like you are the reason we see all the suffering and all the hardship in this world. What's not wrong with this world? Well, what's not wrong is God. While we may be tempted to blame God or to accuse God of causing our pain and our suffering, Genesis makes it crystal clear that he was the one who made it good in the beginning. And not only is he the one that made it good, but he's the one who continued to pursue us when we made it bad. He's right alongside us. He was with Adam and Eve when he made them leave the garden, giving them new clothes. He was with Cain when Cain was plotting murder, encouraging him to not go where sin wanted him to go. He walked with Enoch, and he took him up into heaven before he even died. While he hated the wickedness he saw on earth, he was the one who decided to choose Noah to show his grace to. And so the question I want to end with today is this. God has pursued us all along. Which way are you walking today? Are you walking towards God as he pursues you or away from him? Are you pursuing sin or are you pursuing Jesus? The gospel, is begin, the gospel begins with the fact that we were created for a relationship, that sin broke that relationship, but that God has constantly been in pursuit of us to fix that relationship. Are you letting him pursue you? Are you responding to that pursuit? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, we thank you for the clarity that you give us at the beginning of this wonderful book, the Bible. Help us. In a world that is filled with sin and hardships and bad answers for why we got to where we are, to see that the problem is not outside of us, but inside of us and to receive what you offer us in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to yourself, finally, from the age-old problem of rebellion against you. In Jesus' name. Okay, guys, have a good week. Bring your trick shots. Ready to go on Wednesday. Bye, Adam.